Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, the easy way to increase your billboard revenue. Today's guest is Scott Wells. Scott is CEO of Clear Channel Outdoor Americas, where he leads all aspects of the company's U.S. and Caribbean operations. Scott is also a member of the board of the OAAA. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Dave. Am I right, Scott? Basically, your portion of the Clear Channel Outdoor domain is huge. It's about a billion two of revenue and almost a half a billion a year of cash flow. Yeah, I appreciate you rounding up, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Scott, can you explain the recent Clear Channel Outdoor spinoff from iHeart? Sure. I think that this is something that people in the industry had been expecting for a long time, I think. I mean, it was something that as iHeart went through its restructuring, the creditors viewed the outdoor business as a key asset and wanted to have it separated as part of that process. And indeed, that's what happened. The assets were spun off in a separate entity, new set of shareholders, new trades on its own, reports on its own, and really has independence now. Yeah, I mean, we were publicly traded before, but we were what was known as a control company where iHeart had 90% of the equity and therefore had control status. And that had us have somewhat different reporting requirements than typical free-floating company, which is what we are now. How is an independent Clear Channel Outdoor going to be different from Clear Channel Outdoor as part of iHeart? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, first off, we definitely thank iHeart for their support over the years and wish them the best. They've got an exciting road in front of them. And we have been run as a separate company. You know, really, myself, the Americas, and William internationally have been independent in terms of our operations for for some time. What's really different now is that as a separate entity with our separate investors and no longer being a control company – we're going to be able to be setting the priorities based on where we create the most value for our investors and our stakeholders. So we're very excited about that. There's a lot of great things we have to build on, things like our global digitization strategy, our radar and programmatic innovations, our enhanced selling models around the world. Those are all things that we're excited to build off of and add to it and get more aggressive about developing our inventory over time. We're in the midst of evaluating the exact changes we're going to make, But I can definitely assure you we're going to be looking to be a leader in the out-of-home industry and help outdoor become a a fully modern core medium. I have got to think you have, what you've just mentioned there, are a large array of capital projects and uses of capital. And I have got to think it's a huge plus for you to be part of an independent company that does not have to compete for capital or when there's free cash flow, doesn't have to advocate for how it uses cash flow versus the cash flow being put to another use. No, that's for sure. And we do have debt and we do have creditors. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on cash flow. It's not like we come out with unlimited ability to invest, but it will be great for us to be able to focus really where the value is created in outdoor. Terrific. You went through an exercise, the company, of selecting a new board of directors. Can you talk about that process? What thought went into the selecting the board and how you came up with that board? So the board was assembled by the new investors. It was done in concert with management input, but the investors were the ones really driving it. And I think they did a great job. They were looking for great executives in a variety of areas that would be relevant for our future. So if you take a look across the board, 
we have significant media expertise on that board. We have lots of data and analytics expertise, including some people who are practitioners and doing really advanced work. We've got tremendous finance expertise. We've got real estate expertise. You know, really, if you look across the set of things that this business has to do, we have people on the board who are deep in it. We've met them a couple of times, and, and honestly, we're really excited about the skills and insights they're bringing to the table. I have to agree. I think your board is as broad in terms of having a tower executive, a network ad executive, agency people, financial types, and even women. I think one of the things you need to be complimented on is, you know, women are 42% of your board seats. The average is about 30% for the public out-of-home companies and only 11% for the Fortune 500. Well, they're a great group, and we're excited to have them on board. Terrific. Talk about Clear Channel Outdoors first quarter. You have had a couple of incredibly strong quarters. I think first quarter revenue was up almost 7% in Clear Channel Outdoor Americas. What is accounting for the increase? You know, it's a number of things. There's a few things that are going on into that. And I wish I could put my finger on it's just this one particular thing, but it's really, it's a lot. First off, we're definitely seeing some large advertisers, what we call national advertisers, shift some of their spend back in the direction of out-of-home, and we've benefited from that. Second, we're in the midst of a bunch of major tech product and company announcements from companies that really prefer out-of-home, companies that over-index in how they use out-of-home, and that is something that has benefited us. Third, we're seeing traction on the initiatives that we've been talking about. You've heard us mention on our earnings calls, things like our direct-to-client outreach, our radar initiatives, and our programmatic work. And finally, I think the thing that's been great is that the local and regional markets have continued to be very strong, even as we've seen some of the bigger advertisers move back. And so it's just a vibrant time for the industry and for our company. Could we dial down a little bit on the ad spend shifting to out-of-home? Is this coming from certain things? In other words, is it coming from, say, newspaper or TV into out-of-home? Or is it a shift of people moving some digital ad spending budget into out-of-home? Where do you think the money's coming from? You hear the same things on advertisers' earning calls that I do, where you're seeing people get a little bit more discriminating on shifting everything to digital. You know, we've been in a trend of shifting everything to digital. It's not that digital's not growing, and it's not that digital's not still getting a lot of money. But it's not like this is purely money coming from legacy. It's money that I think we're seeing people embed out of home through the use of some of the tools that we've brought in a way that they would have embedded digital in their campaigns. And that's a really exciting thing for us to see. I think some of the most exciting advertisers we're talking to right now are some of the sort of social media natives who have reached a point where they've realized they've grown tremendous businesses on the back of social media only, but they're wanting to get beyond that base and we're a medium that they're coming to look to. So it's a variety of factors there, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say it's, it's any one medium that we're taking the money from. Scott, one emerging sector that maybe the growth has been slower, it's taken longer to build revenues than many people thought initially as small sales. And the thought was that out-of-home companies could turn their billboards into, they could rent a portion of the space on their billboard to small sell sites. I remember you saying last year at the OAAA, there were some impediments, and it's a little tougher thing than you maybe think at first glance. But 
What do you see as some of the impediments to generating wireless and small cell revenue by leasing out a portion of billboard space? That is something we're doing, and it's something I think all of our competitors are doing to some degree, but it's small. Part of the issue, and this is the answer is going to vary from every company you talk to, but a lot of our assets aren't necessarily in the places that particularly 5G rollout is most taxed. Correct. The issue is is that you need density in the inner, you know, center part of a city, and it's not easy to get bandwidth to locations in the center city if you have them to begin with. And we have them in a lot of cities. We don't have them in, in all. But I think there's a little bit of a mismatch between where the assets are and where the gaps in the networks are. And you couple that with the cellular players have been working very diligently to get alternatives for ways to mount their antennas. And I think they've made some progress on that in in the inner cities, some pretty big agreements around uh, putting them on utility poles, that sort of thing. So I think it's an opportunity for us still, but it's something that I think probably people overhyped a little bit a few years back. Let's stop here to talk about our sponsor. Adomni's buying platform enables advertisers and agencies to easily find and buy your unsold billboard space. With audience IQ technology, advertisers can target consumer profiles such as demographics, behavior, and interests. Whether you have a Watchfire, Fermentco, or Dactronics billboard, Adomni is easy to connect. Join the fastest out-of-home network alongside over 70,000 digital screens. Visit adomni.com or email sales at adomni.com to learn more. Mention this Billboard Insider podcast to receive one free year of Adomni's white-labeled booking engine on your website. Scott, what are Clear Channel Outdoor's top priorities for the next year? There's obviously a lot of work to do to actually physically separate from iHeart. We've financially separated, but we've got to get all of our systems and all of our tools separate. It's not really an operating thing. It's mainly a back office activity, but that's something we've got to pay attention to, particularly for some of the underlying systems. I think more to the spirit of your question, from a U.S. perspective, we're focused on continuing to innovate. We'll be evolving radar from being kind of one overarching brand into four distinct product lines this year, and we'll be communicating those broadly over the coming couple of months. That launch of radar has really grown nicely, and we've gotten just a ton of client feedback that's helped us shape these four product lines. They're very customer-led product lines. We're also, from a programmatic perspective, growing our base of SSP and DSP partners so that we have broader reach. We're growing the team that focuses on new client development. Really what we're trying to do overall, if you try to roll all these things into a ball, it's to make our services available in the channels customers prefer with the data and insights they need so that they can be confident that we're delivering ROI. That's really what our top priority is, is making our customers successful and feeling good about how they're buying it. Interesting. So you are using, I don't know why, I had the idea that your strategy was sort of a walled garden approach without using a lot of partners in terms of selling programmatically. But am I right? I'm hearing that you do use multiple vendors for doing programmatic selling. Oh, yeah. No, I think that you might be thinking of one of our competitors on that. Yes. We have three different SSPs that we're working with right now and more than 20 DSPs. So we... We absolutely are working on a broad base. So it's maybe a little more of an approach like a Lamar, multiple vendors, as opposed to maybe an out front walled garden approach is sort of where where it's at. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's still evolving their models. And I'm not sure that we know enough about what Mm -hmm. either of those two parties are doing to be able to label them entirely. But yeah, I think we are looking at more of an open 
mm-hmm. approach for sure. The board mentioned that leverage is an issue for the company. I think the current leverage is a little above eight to one. What do you think is a sustainable level of leverage for the company and, and what does it do? Does it earn its way there? Does it spin off some assets? But how does the company get to a sustainable level of leverage? It's a great question, Dave. The board wasn't even officially constituted when they called this out. I think that back in February when we were out on the road refinancing our subordinated debt, the board laid out that statement. You know, as we've said on our earning calls, we have lots of tools to improve this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that financing I just referred to, the subordinated notes, was a big deal because a huge win. Yeah gave us a runway for another four years. Yes. As I think about what we're going to do, clearly growing the business is part of the puzzle, but I don't think it'll be the the entirety of it. I'm not really in a position to spell out the moves that we'll make, but it's definitely a priority. And it's definitely, you know, when William, Brian and I catch up, it's something that we're always talking about in terms of how are we going to make progress against it. And we're really looking to get into that virtuous circle where you're generating free cash flow, you're paying down debt, you're working your way toward a more sustainable number. And I think if you look at our primary U.S. competitors and you you kind of factored in the required distributions that they make because they're REITs, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't see the gap as large as it maybe appears at first blush. So we've got work to do, but we're focused on it and we have a great mix of tools at hand and we're definitely prioritizing that so that we can get into a more comfortable level of leverage. Mm-hmm. What does the U.S. at-home industry have to do to get a bigger share of the total ad spend? Isn't the U.S. at-home industry at about 3 or 4%? And what does it have to do to move that number higher? You know what's interesting about that number is that it's kind of the average. If you looked at the penetration of out of home in a New York or in a Los Angeles, it would be north of some of the numbers that you hear bandied about about international market. It's one of the things that I'm always making sure I'm keeping my team focused on is that there are markets in the United States with higher than you know double digit percentages of out of home. But to your question about how do we continue to get a bigger share of ad spend? I think there's a couple cuts out that I'd, I'd offer up to you. You know, first off, you asked me before about traditional media. And while I don't think that right at this moment in time, we're necessarily taking money from traditional media, I think if you looked at the trend and you looked at out of home as a share of traditional media, you'd see that we actually have gotten bigger. It's a pretty interesting exercise. We've run calculations on it, would say that we've picked up a couple percentage points. It's a higher number than what you're thinking of. The number hmm. you're thinking of is against is total total media. So that'd be the first thing is take a look at it against traditional media. In terms of overall, I think you see us in the industry taking the steps we need. You know, we need to be accountable for delivering ROI. The advertisers have to believe every CMO is being told by their CEO that they have to show that return. So we need to be able to participate in that. We have to be flexible in how we sell. We can't just sell it one way and expect everybody's going to beat a door to us to get it. We've got to be in multiple channels. We've got to have creative ways of marketing our inventory. And we need to be visible with planners and strategists that shape the campaign spending. That's something that's different than this business a decade ago, where it was a little bit more of if you build it, they'll come kind of dynamic. I think we have to be a lot more proactive getting in front of folks. And these are all things that Clear Channel is working on. And I'm encouraged that I see a number of our competitors doing so as well. You know, finally on this, I think that the new geopath currency is going to be an important part in helping to further enable this trend because it'll give us a more robust currency to base all of our sales on that everything else will flow flow out of that. 
Mm-hmm. It seems like the new geopath system is just the data. The information you can give to an advertiser will be so much richer. Yeah, no, it'll definitely help. The thing is, pretty much all of the at-home companies are doing some form or another of data supplementation. And that's healthy because that's how pretty much every other media works. You have a currency, but then you add to the currency studies about basket analysis or studies about footfall or studies about people tuning into shows. Those are all things that the individual companies ultimately need to build tools on. But having a robust currency that we're all embracing, I think, is an important underpinning of it. Finally, what are two or three of the biggest changes that you think will come to the out-of-home industry in the next five years? In other words, what are two or three things? could be anything, significant, small, systematic, company-specific. What are two or three changes that you think will happen within the next five years in the U.S. out-of-home business? It's a great question, Dave. And I mean, there's so many changes that are already in flight. I think first and foremost, you're going to see automation of trading get traction and not necessarily purely from a programmatic real-time bidding perspective, but starting to see some automation between buyers and sellers. Advertisers and agencies have gotten a lot more sophisticated in that area. And on that, I've been hearing some anecdotal. I heard of a three, six, a seven-figure buy in this last year that happened that was completely automatic, just bang, just happened. Yeah. And uh, so it seems like we're getting there. It's coming, but it's still a small fraction of total industry revenue. So I think you're going to see that get traction. And that's going to have a lot of knock-on effect. One of the things we've seen as we've gotten into programmatic space is we've had advertisers who went away three or four years ago who are back now because they can buy the way that they want to buy. It's just Hmm. they need to have data. They need to have that flexibility. So I think that's a big one. I think the toolkit for ROI is going to continue to just explode because the interest in that by the advertisers is really unceasing. And pretty much every tool that we've introduced, we get a pat on the head. And then what if you did this? And uh, that that creativity that people have in terms of the next thing and the next tool is something that I think you're going to see really blow out. And then I think finally, you're going to see a lot more sophistication of advertisers using our medium as an integrated part of their campaigns and getting the full priming benefit. I think a lot of progress has been made in the last few years educating advertisers about the priming impact of this medium for digital, for TV, for mobile. It really has powerful priming effects across the board. And I'm definitely hearing more and more advertisers talking about that and embracing that and wanting to get that in their campaigns. And so that bodes well for us getting growth you know, from other media as well. Terrific. That does it for this week. Thanks for appearing on the show, Scott. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. This podcast was sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, the easy way to increase your billboard revenue. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting billboardinsider.com or subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is billboardinsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a couple weeks.